Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harrison Walker. Join us each week as we explore the far reaches of the globe in search of unique characters and stories to share. Reach beyond your front door as we uncover new perspectives, intriguing ideas, and lessons learned over time. Let's jump in. At age 36, Katie Ferris learned that her doctors had discovered a lump. She was relieved to learn that it was likely of no concern due to her young age. Nine months later, she had a dream in which two helicopters crashed onto a highway. And so she pursued a mammogram and a biopsy. The results confirmed a cancerous diagnosis. Her dream had led her in the right direction, initiating a trust in the guidance and wisdom that dreams could offer. She said, When all the rational decision-making options are bad, relying on dreams offers a different kind of logic, an emotional logic, that can be a lifesaver in its own way. The dreams helped me feel as though I wasn't simply tossing a coin over life and death decisions. When she had to decide on what path to take to treat her cancer, she dreamed that she was soaring over a garden full of light. She interpreted this dream as a nod to start chemo, and that is just what she did. The next step of her journey was decided again by a dream. She had to decide whether to have a single or double mastectomy. She dreamed that she was standing in her apartment amid a raging fire. She was holding two jugs, but only one was filled with water. After she emptied the one jug on the fire, she went to fill the jugs, but in the dream, the fire had been extinguished. She interpreted her dream as a sign that one jug was enough and opted for a single mastectomy. Her cancer journey continued with more dreams and decisions, but at the time that the New York Times printed her story, she was nearing the end of her treatment, with no evidence of cancer remaining. In Katie's words, I was grateful that my dream's guidance allowed me to make choices that felt meaningful. Wow, that is quite a story. Mm -hmm. But I do think many people look to dreams for direction, though I think it might be unwise to depend or base decisions solely on your dreams. As Ms. Ferris said, we are creatures who need something to believe in. Particularly in the face of diversity. Yeah, and many of us do turn to symbols and signs during times of despair. Whether there's any validity to these signs remains unknown, but they will always be subject to to our own personal interpretation. Do you look to your dreams or signs for guidance or insight, Harris? Well, I come from a family of predominantly medical practitioners, so we have always placed a lot of importance on scientific data and proof. But somehow I've turned out to be a little bit more witchy than the rest of them. (laughs) I do read tarot. I do look for signs and interpret signs. And I believe that these signs sort of keep us on the path that's meant for us. Well, many cultures have long histories of placing importance on symbols. Even today, many believe that lost loved ones visit them in the form of butterflies, cardinals, dragonflies, or other creatures. Mm -hmm. So it's not surprising that we still look to dreams for messages from our subconscious or perhaps a higher power even. As Western society has become more science-based, we've stepped away from this sort of thinking, however— There seems as of late to be some more emphasis on energy, spirituality, or the manifestation of your dreams and wishes. 
Yeah, there certainly has been. And a lot of us have common dreams too. Like I've had dreams of losing my teeth. Many, many dreams about losing my teeth. And apparently a lot of other people do too. Do you have dreams about losing your teeth, Walker? Well, I had six years of braces. So yes, yeah. I do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was too for me. People commonly also dream of flying, falling, being naked in public. That's uh. an uncomfy one. And cheating on their partner. Forbes Health reported in a 2022 survey of over 2,000 Americans that falling is the most common recurring dream that people have. In fact, it is the most common dream experienced by men. Interesting. Yeah. Lori Quinn Lowenberg, a certified dream analyst and member of the International Association for the Study of Dreams, said that this type of dream can occur when we have high expectations and we're disappointed, or if we feel as if we have no support. I see. Mm -hmm. So what was the most common dream experienced by women? I'm curious. Being chased. Ah, I can yeah. see that. Yeah. I can remember having a dream when... I was younger where someone was walking quickly behind me late at night, you know, where you can hear their shoes mm -hmm. clicking on the pavement, mm -hmm. but you can't see anyone. Yikes. Yeah. Well, I had that dream. And when I woke up, I realized that the swinging of the pendulum on the old clock in our hallway created the sound of the shoes on the sidewalk, my dream. So it was real life. Yeah. Infiltrating my dreams. Yeah. And that happens, yeah. right? You can hear something, you're interpreting it as something else in your dream, and then you wake up and you're like, oh no, that's actually my alarm going off. Yeah. Well, what about you? Well, I don't recall having a dream about being chased, really, but I have heard that these dreams might indicate that you're avoiding something ah. in your waking life. Lowenberg said that people who tend to avoid confrontation at all costs have that dream a lot. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'll remember that next time I wake up in a cold sweat after being chased in my dreams. Right. Do you have reoccurring dreams? Uh, I used to have a recurring dream when I was younger. I was trapped in an underwater maze that was like completely filled with water, These this maze of tunnels, and trying to find my way out. And it was a super heavy, super panicky dream. That what about does you? not sound fun. No, it wasn't fun at all. <laughs> oh. It was terribly unfun. Well, I've had dreams that I'm about to enter an exam and I've forgotten to study. Yeah. I've also had dreams where I'm back in university waitressing at a restaurant and I can't keep up with the new tables that are assigned to me. Yeah. Major anxiety dreams, stress yeah. dreams, right? Yeah. This is kind of odd maybe, but I, I also have arguments in my dreams. You do? Oh, a lot. Oh my gosh, that's a <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, I think I'm working things out in my dreams. I, you know, sometimes maybe I don't express what I should say to people in real time. So it comes out in my dreams, sort well, of get it all sorted out. That's good. <laughs> that's good. So how much do we actually dream? Well, according to the National Sleep Foundation, the average person dreams four to six times per night okay. and perhaps as much as two hours of sleep a night. Oh, wow. So it's not that long, really, if you consider the average night's sleep of seven to eight hours. Mm. So we dream during our REM sleep, right? Yeah, supposedly... That is when our dreaming is most vivid during REM sleep. REM is an acronym for rapid eye movement when your eyes move quickly, but your major muscle groups are temporarily paralyzed. Yeah. We do dream during NREM, which is non-rapid eye movement sleep though too. We enter REM sleep approximately 90 minutes after we fall asleep, but this might last only five minutes. We might have a longer REM cycle though later in our sleep. So what about those people who claim not to ever have 
any dreams at all. Right. Only 6.5% of people who have been surveyed claim not to dream, but that they have had experience dreaming in their past. Okay. Just one in 250 people can't remember ever having a dream. Okay. And according to Dr. Timothy Young for the Mayo Clinic, he says, unlike our lives while awake, dreams are not real experiences, but instead represent a processing phase. Therefore, the mind probably doesn't mark them as worth remembering. And mm. furthermore, it's hard to remember anything that happens overnight because sleep makes us forget. Right. And for those of us who do remember, he says, we are most likely to remember the last dream we had just before waking in the morning. It's frequently said that 50% of our dreams are forgotten after five minutes of waking and 90% are forgotten after 10 minutes. Well, I totally believe that because I can wake up with the dream fresh in my mind And very quickly, I'm really grasping to remember those details. We're very excited to introduce Jane Teresa Anderson, dream analyst, dream therapist, author of seven books on dreams and dreaming, and the host of the podcast, The Dream Show with Jane Teresa Anderson. Jane Teresa is also the founder of The Dream Academy, a training center for dream interpretation, dream alchemy, and dream therapy. Welcome to At Home and Abroad, Jane Teresa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're very, very lucky to have you here. We're very, very pleased. So my first question is a bit of a big one. So tackle it as you wish. Dreams have always been an intriguing and perhaps somewhat mysterious aspect of the human experience. So what can we actually learn from our dreams? We can learn just about everything, about ourselves. Okay. (laughs) What's actually happening when we dream, our dreaming brain or our dreaming mind is essentially processing the last one to two days of all our experiences, conscious and unconscious, uh, with the idea of kind of updating your mindset. So the idea is when you wake up in the morning, ideally, you've sorted out all your experiences of the last couple of days, you've got a slightly different adjusted mindset, and you're ready to have another go. (laughs) But that's not often how it turns out. While your dreaming mind is processing that last one to two days, what it does is it reaches back into the past for events and experiences that were similar to yesterday. So if you went through something yesterday and it triggered something in you that kind of you remembered maybe back to when you were 15 and you had a similar issue or experience, then you might get bits of that when you were 15 come up in your dream too and then sometimes your dream then projects ahead it's like almost your dream might go okay so what if tomorrow you met this kind of situation how would you handle it then how would you how would you do that so it's kind of like this space in the dreaming mind to update your experiences and um and make sense of your world so when you learn how to look at a dream into your own dreams because your dreams don't actually look like what you were experiencing the last one to two days, do they? They look totally mad and surreal. Yes. (laughs) When you kind of look through that, and there are tools and techniques to be able to do that, what you then uncover is a picture of how your unique mindset is processing your experiences in life. So it's like a window on, oh, okay. So when I'm in this kind of situation, 
That's how I deal with it unconsciously. I know how I deal with it consciously, but my unconscious mind has maybe some limited beliefs since childhood, or my unconscious mind maybe has some deep self-doubts that I'm not really so aware of when I'm awake. And your dreams show you what is, um, in, in many senses, limiting how you are handling your experiences in life. So in short, when you look into a dream, you learn more about yourself, particularly your unconscious mind. And the more you understand about yourself, the more you understand about your life. And the more you understand about your life, you can say, well, there are some elements of my life that I would like to change. And I understand now from my dreams why I'm having difficulties with those areas. So I now understand from my dreams what I need to change. That's so interesting. So you can really take a look at how you are, how your unconscious mind is processing the events in your life, how it may be affected by events that happened perhaps very early in your life. And then you can put it all together and you can really attain some real growth, perhaps. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even if you don't interpret your dreams, at some level, your mind is trying to process an update. But unfortunately, what a lot of our... (laughs) dreams and our minds do it. Okay, that experience I had yesterday is really like when I was three and and my mum wouldn't give me an ice cream. So I'm just going to stick with that feeling. I'm just going to be a three-year-old, really. I'm not going to update that at all because we tend to believe most strongly our foundational beliefs. Our first experiences in life form deep, concrete beliefs, and it takes a lot to shift those. So the advantage of returning and interpreting your dreams is you can see that happening. You can say, okay, right, I'm just going to move a few things around here. I'm going to um, do things with my dreams through dream alchemy that unhook me from those early beliefs and allow me to make change. That's so amazing. And so really, you could really benefit from a regular practice of perhaps journaling or writing down your dreams every day and then going back and taking a look perhaps yourself or with someone like you coaching you through that and and mentoring you through that process. Absolutely. Fascinating. Fascinating. So there are some common dreams that a lot of people share. One of mine is having my teeth falling out when I'm in public places and having an absolute anxiety attack about it. Other people experience flying. So do these common dream experiences, do they cross cultural boundaries? Are these common to all people? We're all human, whatever our nationality, whatever our culture. Um, And because we're human, we, we have similar kind of issues in life or similar emotions and feelings. And that's what these common dreams tend to portray. So every dream is totally unique. So even though the teeth falling out dream is probably one of the most common dream themes in the world, everybody's dream is slightly different. You'll be in a different place when your teeth fall out. You'll feel differently. The situation which causes the first tooth to drop out will be different. You'll be wearing different things. You'll be in a different environment. And all these extra things help you to interpret the dream. But yes, we also... In teeth falling out dreams, for example, they're usually in a public place, just like yours. Mm -hmm. And the interpretation is different for everybody. But in general, you go by the feeling. So, you know, your feeling is high anxiety about something that comes out of your mouth and is ruining the way that your smile looks maybe. And that may then translate to when I'm in a public space, my unconscious mind is a little bit anxious about what words will come out of my mouth. (laughs) 
Yes. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? So even though I interpret it as, as an anxiety dream, that's not necessarily the case for all people having teeth falling out dreams. Exactly. I never thought of it that way. Okay. That's really interesting. And flying dreams, what would they generally indicate? We can fly in planes. We can fly in hot air balloons. The best dreams, of course, of flying without any other um, assistance other than our own arms or legs or various props that people have. I remember one woman telling me that all her flying dreams, she can only fly if she holds a tea towel. So we all have our different ways of doing it. (laughs) If there are still any cultures in the world that are not familiar with um, aeroplanes, you know, they might have dreams of being lifted by a bird into the sky, for example, but the, the dreams will be the same. When we fly by ourselves, (laughs) again, we go by, it's a a dream theme. We go by, how did you feel in the dream? So some people will say, I felt really anxious about flying. Other people will say, felt wonderful. I could see so much. And other people might say, oh, thank God I got away from the monster. You know, it's an escape. And those feelings are a guide to what the dream means. So the one of escape, you might then look at the other parts of the dream and say, well, what is it in your life that at least unconsciously you would really like to get away from? <laughs> right. Uh, for somebody that's going, oh, this is so amazing. I can, I, I feel so good. I can see so far might come up a time in your life when you are really wanting to elevate yourself in some way, lift yourself to a higher perspective or, um, in your dreaming mind, being able to get a perspective look down on your life. So the interpretation mm-hmm. is different for everybody, but we all just been human beings <laughs> across all cultures and all times will have experienced some of those things, wanting to escape, wanting to rise above, um, or all, all the things associated with that. Oh, isn't that so fascinating? So I remember having more dreams as a child and I was able to remember them more clearly when I woke in the morning and, you know, I'd be telling my mother about them. They just seemed to be a little bit more vivid. So do dreams evolve or change as we become adults or are there factors now being an adult that are impacting the clarity of my dreams? Yeah, beautiful question. Many people say the reverse, say they don't remember many dreams in their childhood, but they remember more now and have more clarity. And everybody finds without exception that once they really start making an effort in the morning to remember the dreams and I'll give some tips on that in a minute and take them seriously and write them down the more you practice that the more detail you remember and then other little things like when you're going around about your day um, as an adult we've usually got so much to do we're kind of a little bit blinkered but as you go about your day if you just take five minutes here or there to actually notice all sensations so a bit of mindfulness but you know notice what am I hearing what am I tasting? What am I smelling? What am I seeing? Really look. No, really look. No, really look. And because our dreams are processing our experiences, our dreams are going to process all that looking, that tasting, that feeling. That's going to bring a lot of detail into your dreams. Oh. But the main reason why you and a lot of adults um, uh, may remember less vivid dreams than when they were children is because we we jump out of bed too quickly in the morning. Got to get up, got things to do, got to do this, got to do that. Or we open our eyes and even if we stay in bed, we're going through the to-do list. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm so guilty. Remember, 
to remember our dreams, we've got to go back to that childhood feeling, you know, of waking up. And even if there's a mother or a father trying to get us out of bed, we're not going there yet. We're just going to lay in bed and we're going to float off back to sleep a bit. And we're going to go into la-la land. And that twilight zone is just the right kind of zone to try to remember your dreams. So I always suggest to people, if you've really got as an adult to get up and rush into life, maybe set two alarms. The second one is the time that you've really got to get up. And the first one, maybe 10 minutes earlier, maybe 15, it goes off very gently and you say to yourself, don't need to worry because the other alarm's going to go off. So I'm just going to float around. If I fall back to sleep, that's okay. But is there something that I can remember about a dream? And even if you just remember one symbol, you just focus on that symbol. And without any anxiety, you just let that symbol be and gradually other little bits will draw back in and you can write them down. So that's the main reason but there is another reason there are two other reasons why sometimes as adults we have less vivid dreams one is if as a child you also had nightmares and your parents would have then said yeah don't worry look it's only a dream just don't worry it's not real essential message you don't need to worry about that just forget so you grow up as a child waking up and forgetting your dreams because you've been told they're not important so that's one yeah, reason. That's very much my experience, actually. I, I mm-hmm. bet it is, yeah, because I don't mm-hmm. think the last one would apply to you, but the last one might apply to some listeners. And that's where life just becomes a bit more routine as an adult. Uh, we do less exciting things. Uh, everything's a bit more known. Uh, we don't push ourselves. We're not as creative. So our dreaming minds have got not a lot to work on, really. So Right. It's <laughs> become a little happen. bit too mundane and predictable sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is all really fascinating. I'm definitely setting my alarm for 10 minutes later now that I know this trick. At the Dream Academy, your clients are trained in dream interpretation and dream therapy. It seems to me that people may be able to work through their psychological challenges and issues by analyzing their dreams. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, that's a lovely question, Lauren. So when you go to the Dream Academy, there are various courses you can do. But right from the outset, you you learn various tools and techniques. So along those lines, some of the tools and techniques um, show you how to look at a single dream and how to, um, in most dreams, be able to find a behavior pattern. So most dreams will start with, um, when you really stand back and look at a dream, the beginning will often be a situation. So let me make up something off the top of my head. Beginning of a dream might be, I was standing in the street. Okay, so we've got a situation. This dream is, I'm standing around somewhere, waiting for something to happen maybe. The next part of a dream will usually be a problem or a question. I'm standing in the street and this car comes, the car, there's a car racing down the street. I better jump on the sidewalk. Okay, we've straight away got a problem. So the situation in my life is I'm standing around, not doing much, but the problem is all of a sudden something's hurtling towards me and I might be in the way I want to get out of the way. The rest of the dream will often be the ways that you try to solve the problem. So in this silly sample dream I've got, you might jump on the sidewalk, you might close your eyes, you might call emergency, you might jump into the road and say, stop, stop, stop. You might wave that goes by. There's all these different approaches that you try in the dream to deal with the situation. And then some dreams end up with a resolution, end up with a solution. So, you know, one of many possible solutions for this silly dream might be, oh, I waved, the car slowed down, it was my friend, we got out, we had a chat about things in life that seem to be coming faster, us and how we can slow them down. That would be a dream that really worked out a situation in your life where you were feeling that things were coming at you too fast. But 
you can then look into a dream like that to see, well, the way that I, in the dream, try to solve the problem of the dream tells me about my mindset, particularly my unconscious mindset. It tells me the normal patterns of behavior that I take in life. Ah. So for example, that first one, if, if the person had this dream of I'm standing in the road, this car comes hurtling down, I jump on the sidewalk, I turn around, I, I close my eyes, might belong to someone whose habitual pattern is to ignore anything that's happening that, that comes at them quickly, any problems in their life that are bearing down, anything that yeah. wants them to do something quickly, I'm just going to look the other way. Avoidance, um, yeah. And so on and so on, avoidance, yeah. So you can, even though that was a silly, lighthearted example, you can actually go into a dream and you can draw out often a behavior pattern. When this happens in my life, I tend to do this and then this and then this. And then when you look at other tools and techniques that I apply, you find out why that is. You mm. can find, oh, I do that because when I was 22, this happened to me. Oh, isn't that interesting? And we apply other tools and techniques in that, those ways. So they're ways of looking into a dream to actually find out how your unconscious mind is programmed with your automated behaviors, your limiting beliefs, and so on. So they help explain why you experience life in the way that you do, why you respond in the way that you do, why life turns out for you in the way that it does, mm-hmm. and therefore how you can change it. You know, that old expression, you can't see the forest through the trees. It seems like your dreams pull those trees away and uh, gives you the opportunity to sort of dive right in there and figure things out that, you know, we wouldn't have that opportunity necessarily in real life. Exactly. And I love the way that you use that analogy, because essentially that's what dreams do, too. You could you could almost you almost described a dream there so in a person a person's life where they can't see the wood for the trees they might dream that they're in a forest and they can't see the trees right it's another way of looking at life so I love that analogy it's perfect so maybe we can talk a little bit about night terrors what are night terrors and are these simply terrifying reoccurring dreams or are they dreams that are indicative of something more in our psyches Yeah, there's a lot of mystery um, around night terrors, you know, even amongst sleep scientists and other scientists and neurobiologists. There's a lot of um, dissent about what night terrors actually are, Um, but I will go into it. So I'm going to go into it by talking first about nightmares. Okay. So a nightmare is Let's say, let, let's say a nightmare is not a night terror. Let's just look at a nightmare. A nightmare is a normal dream, except it's a dream about something really frightening and scary. And, and when you're dreaming about something frightening and scary in that dream, you're usually facing your own fears about something. Okay. When you dream about something frightening and scary, your body does actually release fear hormones and stress hormones. So you've got adrenaline, you've got cortisone, you've got the whole cocktail in your blood. And that's pump into your physical body will often wake you up and you wake up and you've got goosebumps up your arms and your heart's pounding and you're really frightened. And that's a nightmare. Okay. Because the fear of the nightmare woke you up, but it's just a normal dream, not what you would normally call a night terror. And the reason you would not normally call that a night terror is because when you ask the person or the child, oh, what were you dreaming? They can usually tell you. A night terror, the person either when they wake up, can't tell you what they were dreaming or what was happening, or they have no memory of the night terror. 
a more precise definition of a night terror is the person will either just sit up in bed absolutely terrified, like full on panic attack, but doesn't know why, doesn't seem to connect it to dreaming. Just in that moment, I'm scared stiff. And in a few minutes, it passes. Or more dramatically, they will be physically walking around the bedroom or wherever. So in a night terror, you can walk. Your body is awake, but your mind isn't. In a nightmare, your body's asleep as well. And it is believed that a night terror is possibly when you are stuck between deep sleep and light sleep and you can't move from one to the other. It's more common in children. We tend to grow out of it as adults, but there are ways to deal with it in children to stop it happening. Um, You can't talk to a, a, a child walking around with night terrors. If you try to talk to them, their mind is, a, is asleep. You, you can't get through. If you touch them, you give them a shock. It's not good either. You've just got to gently guide them back to sleep. But the way that you can try to stop night terrors from happening is what they call scheduled awakening. Ah. So it's believed that they get stuck in after 20 to 25 minutes, they get stuck moving from deep sleep to a lighter sleep. So what you do is you stand by with a drink of water <laughs> and you notice when the child falls asleep. And after about 20 minutes, so it's before the night terror begins, but it's about to begin. After about 20 minutes, you very gently wake them up, get them to sit, sit up. Don't wake them up fully, just enough to have a little sip of water. So they go back to sleep straight away. And that is usually enough to get them out of that stuck stuck bit. And the rest of the night, they tend not to enter. You do that, unfortunately, parental duties extend to doing that every every day for three weeks. And it's not always successful, but it often is. My goodness, it's a lot more complicated than I thought it was. I thought it was just going to be a more aggressive nightmare. And it's not what I thought it was going to be at all. No, it's a completely different thing. Yeah. Wow. Nightmares can't really get any more aggressive than the worst nightmares can get. <laughs> yes, we about it. <laughs> so perhaps we could end our chat today with the dream you shared in the chapter Dreamtime Tea Time from your recent book, Birds of Paradise, Taming the Unconscious to Bring Your Dreams to Fruition. How has this wonderful dream informed your life? Oh, yes, I love this dream. Thank you for asking about it. So this dream I had, I think it was about 20 years ago now. And it was, I was about to write a new book, but I hadn't settled on the, on the theme. Anyway, I, <laughs> most of my dreams are not like waking life. They're like most people's, they're surreal, they're unusual, they're amazing. And this dream had a really boring start. So in the dream, I had got out of bed. And I'd walked down the hall and I'd gone to the kitchen to make a cup of tea, which I was going to take back to my husband in bed. Everything was exactly as it was in waking life. So I didn't realize I was dreaming until I opened the fridge to get the milk and out flew this amazing multicolored rainbow bird. Another two birds came out. And then I looked down the bottom of the fridge and in the water, there was water at the bottom of the fridge, were two enormous goldfish just looking at me. And I this is the color was amazing. I still didn't realize I was dreaming. So I called out down the hallway, Michael, Michael, you've got to come down. You've got to come and see what's in the fridge. So in the dream, Michael comes down, he looks in the fridge. By now it's full of other animals, there's snakes. It's it's just a, a riot of color. It's so exciting. And Michael very sensibly looks in and he says, oh, the snakes are the sibilants. The uh, the birds are the vowels. The um, 
the uh, uh, the goldfish are the adjectives, and those little insects are the commas. And you know, it had the whole thing. This is your story. This is the book that you have been keeping on ice. It's time wow. now to let it out and let it free. So then I um, did actually wake up in bed and thought thought about it and thought I must get up and go to the kitchen and make that cup of tea. But I fell asleep and had an associated dream. And in this dream, I was back in my grandmother's house in her garden. And uh, I was making a cup of tea, but I was reaching my hand into a really beautiful, deep canister of uh, old herbs and fruits and berries that had been dried ever since my grandma was a child, maybe. And I reached and grabbed this infusion of herbs, put it in a teapot, put the boiling water on it, and the smell was beautiful. And as the smell of the tea hit my nostrils, hundreds of these rainbow birds came out of the teapot and roosted in the apple tree in my grandmother's garden. And I woke up. And so you can see it's a similar theme. Only the first time this wonderful, colourful assortment of animals and energy came out of a cold, icy fridge. And the second one, they came out when I warmed the teapot and put on the hot water and all this stuff came out. So I took that at the time being able to interpret the rest of the dream as the fact that even though at that stage I think I'd written three books, mm-hmm. I hadn't really brought in all this extra emotion and vivid and colour that I really wanted to do, only, not only in the book but in my life. I wanted to bring more of that stuff into my life, and that's what I did. And I also, of course, reached back to childhood and beyond childhood and through the generations into the kind of stories that they told. Mm-hmm. So any time that I find myself when I'm writing nonfiction, thinking, oh, I've got a bit really straight and narrow here. I've got to be really sensible. I sometimes think, I'm just going to open the fridge doors. I'm going to reach into that canister of, of leaves. I'm going to add more color. I'm going to add more tech. I'm going to add more emotion. I'm going to add more, more vivid. And writing that book, Bird of Paradise, which was a little bit after that, was, was one occasion when I reached back to the dream and I was reaching back for those birds and that sense and Bird of Paradise, although it is nonfiction based with a book that, um, I allowed myself to open those fridge doors and put a lot more, um, lyrical, poetic, <laughs> colorful writing into it. It's a beautiful book. It's an absolutely beautiful book. That beautiful technicolor dream, the message couldn't be more obvious, could it? <laughs> no. You would, what a beautiful way to end our chat today. We'd like to thank you so much for chatting with us, Jane Teresa. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. If you'd like to learn more about Jane Teresa and the incredible contribution she is making to our understanding of dreams, you can read one of her many books, And you can follow her at www.janeteresa.com or sign up for a course at the Dream Academy by going to www.dream-academy-online.com. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Jane Teresa. Thank you both. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Well, it's a really fascinating subject, isn't it? It is. But just like your reoccurring dream of your childhood, Harris, not every dream is a good one. No, that's for sure. So do you experience nightmares? I have had a few, but luckily I don't experience them regularly. I went through a period of my life where I did experience two dreams, which were disturbing, and I would wake up physically exhausted. Oh, wow. I think we should talk about these or save them for a chat in a later episode as they felt more like out-of-body experiences. Oh, okay. They were so upsetting that I was afraid to fall asleep. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. I really want to hear about that. That sounds a bit 
frightening. It was. How about you? Well, I used to have regular nightmares until I was about in my 20s, mid-20s. That's but they, nice. I know. It wasn't nice, but they were pretty far-ranging in terms of topic and theme. Okay. But one of the dreams that stands out to me most was one I had in my late teens. And I dreamt that I was caring for this young man who was dying. He was in a hospital bed in some kind of care facility. And the dream had this huge time span. So I cared for this particular young man over months. And during those months, we developed a relationship and I fell in love with him. And I can feel almost feel the emotion even today because it it was so sad and bittersweet. I knew that this person wasn't going to survive his illness. And in the dream one day, I entered his room and he was gone. And when I woke up, I cried all day. I couldn't go to work or school or whatever it was that day. I was just absolutely grief ridden. Um, So it was a nightmare of a different kind, I suppose. That's quite a dream. And I would say not a happy one. Not a happy one. Well, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine has stated that between 50 and 85% of adults have experienced a nightmare. Wow. I'm surprised it's not even more. I know. Seriously. Mm -hmm. Those people who claim not to have experienced a nightmare have been living a pretty sweet life. Or at least having (laughs) sweet dreams. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Did you know that women are more likely than men to say that they've had a nightmare? So is this connected in any way with having to listen to your mate snore all night? (laughs) I'm speaking for many girlfriends, Uh, not yourself. Hmm. There might be something to that, Walker. Actually, though, there are numerous potential causes, including stress or taking certain medications. But not surprisingly, nightmares are said to be the hallmark of post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. It's reported that 70 to 96% of people who suffer PTSD also suffer nightmares. Mm -hmm. Of course, veterans who have been in combat had a higher risk of PTSD. Yeah, various experiences, though, are related to PTSD, right? Not just exposure to the violence of war. Oh, right. Trauma can take many forms. Surviving a natural disaster, having a traumatic accident, surviving an assault, or even performing a very stressful and distressing job day in and day out can lead to PTSD. Of course, these are just a few examples. Yeah, and sleep is the time when we're supposed to be resting and healing, which is pretty impossible if your trauma is infiltrating your sleep in the form of nightmares. Yes, but you don't have to suffer nightmares. There are treatment options available. So I recommend that everyone speak to your healthcare provider. If you have issues, there's help out there. Right. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. So beyond nightmares, there are also prophetic dreams. Do you think you've ever had one of these, Walker? Yes. In fact, I have. Oh, wow. (laughs) Do tell. I had a dream once that I was on vacation staying at a wonderful hotel. And I remembered what the outside of the hotel looked like very clearly when I woke up. And then about six months later, a page for a hotel in Louisiana showed up in my feed. Hmm. And that picture was exactly what I had envisioned in my dream. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Yeah, I got the exact same feeling that I got in my dream. When when you saw it? When I saw the photo. Yeah. That must have been like a weird rush. It was very weird. So you know you have to go, Walker, right? (laughs) I do. Where is it? Uh, It's the Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Okay, so it's time to book that (laughs) reservation. The universe is sending you there. Well, the one thing I really remember vividly when I woke up was the colors in the dream. The colors of the striped awning. Oh, that's cool. Well, most of us do dream in color. Apparently, only 12% of people claim to dream in black and white. 
Can you imagine dreaming in black and white? I find that so strange. I find it so strange too, like bizarre. I would like to be able to retain and remember my dreams better though, Walker. Like some are so vivid, like your hotel dream, but some are so fleeting. Well, there are some things you can do to help. Okay. Um, According to Medical News Today, these actions might help you out there. Okay. Wake up naturally without an alarm. And when you do wake up, think about the dream right away. Okay, so maybe not on a school night, but what about writing it down? You got it. Make a habit of writing it down. Don't just do it every once in a while. Do it regularly. Okay, so a dream journal beside the bed might be a good idea. I wonder what weird and wonderful patterns might emerge from doing a dream journal. That would be interesting, right? I know. So is there a way we can manipulate our dreams while we're inside them? Sometimes when I wake up, I want to slip back into a dream and Mm. rewrite the ending. Well, I'm not sure about that, but I do know that you will likely dream about what you're thinking about just before you go to sleep. So I try my best to distract myself from thinking about things I don't necessarily want to dream about. Okay, so that makes sense. Yeah, I haven't been able to literally control how a dream plays out. But once I do remember having a dream in which I was flying, actually, I was leaping through the air for blocks. Oh, <laughs> like a superhero. Yeah, exactly. Superhero Then walker. I remember in my dream, I remember thinking, I know this is a dream. Enjoy this. Oh, wow. That's so cool. So a lucid dream. My daughter has lucid dreams. Yeah, really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah lucid dreaming usually occurs during our REM sleep. And a medical news today says that some people are even able to enter a dream knowing that they're dreaming. It's not clear who or how many people are able to do this, though. That's cool. In an interview for MNT, lucid dreaming specialist Dr. Denholm Aspey of the University of Adelaide in Australia said that if you can help someone who's having a nightmare to become lucid during that nightmare, then that gives them the ability to exert control over themselves or over the nightmare itself. So it can be therapeutic. Right. Even more, he said that it can help with phobias. He said, if a person has a particular phobia, then their lucid dream environment provides an interesting opportunity to do things like exposure therapy, where you gradually expose yourself to the things you're afraid of in an attempt to gradually overcome that fear. Wow. So is there something we can do to sort of practice to get into this state? Well, I haven't personally tried it myself, but according to Dr. Aspey, there are things that you can practice throughout the day if you want to try. Why lucid dreaming? Okay, cool. Let's hear it because I'm really interested in this. Well, you can begin with reality testing. Okay. This involves asking yourself throughout the day, am I dreaming right now? Mm. While trying to make your hand pass through a solid wall. Okay. If you repeatedly do this during the day, you're more likely to do it during your dreams, thus allowing the dreamer to gain awareness of the dream. Okay, but that might get me some pretty <laughs> weird looks. <laughs> well, that's just one technique okay. Dr. Aspey had a few others to recommend as well. Apparently, though, people who are better at remembering their dreams are more able to lucid dream. So making a habit of writing down all the details of your dreams and even meditating can be helpful. Okay, so the dream journal has Mm -hmm. come up again. So that sounds a little bit more practical to me. Mm -hmm. Dr. Aspey did warn that people with mental health challenges such as schizophrenia should be very careful and perhaps not explore lucid dreaming. There could be issues with blurred boundaries between reality and hallucinations. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, important. 
There does seem to be some overall concern about whether blurring sleep-wake psychological boundaries should be encouraged, though. It is really a hot topic that many people seem to want to know more about. Yeah, I can imagine. But just regular old dreaming has its real-life benefits, too. There are so many examples of people coming to a realization or discovery in their dreams, aren't there? Definitely. Mm -hmm. Rebecca Turner compiled a brief list of some pretty well-known inventions which came about as a result of a dream experienced by their creator. For instance, in the field of literature, there are many novels which were inspired by a dream. Robert Louis Stevenson dreamed out three portions of his famous novel, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, in 1886. He is known to have said, For two days, I went about racking my brain for a plot of any sort, and on the second night, I dreamed the scene at the window and a scene afterwards split it in two, in which Hyde pursued for some crime, took the powder, and underwent the change in the presence of his pursuers. I have to admit, that I do do this. Oh, wow. I mess around with book writing when I have time and I sometimes think about a character and then go to sleep and see if somehow my brain can figure out while I'm sleeping something about the plot or the character, what they're going to do next. Okay, so does it work? Sometimes. I usually keep some paper and pen beside my bed at night so I can write down ideas immediately when I wake up so I don't forget. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Another classic novel that's said to have been fleshed out in the process of dreaming is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, written in 1816. And this is one I know we both like. Mm -hmm. Shelley came up with the idea about the possibility of a corpse coming back to life prior to sleeping. And it was during her sleep that the monster truly came to life in her imagination. Well, neat. Mm -hmm. Now, didn't Paul McCartney have an experience similar to this as well? Yeah. In 1965, McCartney dreamed the entire melody for the song Yesterday. That's incredible. I know. He supposedly wrote it down as soon as he woke up and quickly got to his piano, but apparently he was nervous that he had heard it somewhere else Ah. and that someone else had written it. So he said, for about a month, I went round to the people in the music business and asked them whether they had ever heard it before. Eventually, it became like handing something in to the police. I thought if no one claimed it after a few weeks, then I could have it. Oh, I can understand that. It's sometimes hard to believe it when an incredible idea comes out of thin air, right? Yeah, yeah. Stephanie Meyer, the author of Twilight, also said that her inspiration for the book came from a dream. Hmm. But dream-inspired ideas don't always come about after a wholesome night's sleep. Apparently, Samuel Taylor Coldridge wrote his famous work, Kubla Khan, after a dream which was opium-inspired. Okay, so a little mm-hmm. bit different. And James Cameron came up with the main character in The Terminator during a dream he had while suffering from a fever. A lot of inventions, though, and scientific discoveries have also come about as a result of dreaming. Okay, tell. Well, our own Frederick Banting of Banting at Best, the scientist who discovered insulin, found inspiration for this discovery in a dream. Hmm. The story goes that he had a dream instructing him to surgically tie up the pancreas of a dog with diabetes in order to stop the flow of nourishment. When he followed through, he had noticed a balance of sugar and insulin. He then had another dream indicating how to develop insulin as a treatment. Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That dream has changed the lives of millions of Certainly people. has. Yeah. And Einstein's theory of relativity was allegedly inspired by a dream as well. Seriously? Mm-hmm. Apparently so. When he was a teenager, he had a dream about 
cows. Cows. Mm -hmm. oh. Yes, cows, which were shocked by an electric fence, appeared to jump at the same time, but a farmer standing at a distance saw them jump one at a time. From this dream, he formed his theory of relativity, where events appear differently depending on where we are standing because of the time required for light to reach our eyes. Wow, that's very cool. Mm -hmm. Though, if I had the same dream, I'm not sure <laughs> it would culminate in the theory of relativity. Just saying. So many other inventions and theories are said to have dream origins. For instance, a sewing machine, the periodic table, the discovery of the chemical structure of benzene, and the structure of the atom, to name just a few. Well, I had a dream that you and I were giving a keynote speech last night about two fat calico cats. Uh -huh. So do you think there's <laughs> any kind of hidden wisdom or discovery in that, Walker? I'm not sure you're onto anything with that one. <laughs> Thank you for joining us at At Home and Abroad with your host, Harrison Walker. If you enjoyed this episode, we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review our show. It helps us grow and expand our reach. Subscribe to follow us each week as we continue the conversation. You can also say hi to us on Instagram at, at Harrison Walker. We would love to hear from you. 